we're in a series right now called Bona Fide. Bona Fide means authentic, real, genuine. And so we are looking for what is the real, authentic, genuine faith when it comes to following Jesus Christ. If you go down this street and if you go down 78th Street and you go down Main Street, you'll find half a dozen or a dozen or more churches and you'll find probably as many different variations of Christianity. What is the real bona fide stamp of approval, authentic faith that we're supposed to be living out? So we're looking at that as we go through the book of 1 John. We've talked about how John is writing this to uh, people who are starting to kind of leave the church and they're walking away from the church. They're looking for something a little more spiritual. You know, maybe you've been around people who have done that. They've left church because, you know, there's not enough spiritual stuff. They're not having enough spiritual experiences or they want something more. They want to have visitations from angels. This is who John is writing this to, people who wanted to kind of have another, a next level of spirituality. They wanted to experience things that weren't explicit in in the gospel and what Jesus came to give us. And so they were leaving that to go into what is called Gnosticism. And so John is writing this letter to people to to tell them, don't go, don't, don't chase that. This is what you're supposed to have. Jesus is the whole thing. Jesus is the whole deal. Make sure you stick with Jesus and the gospel that we taught you because that's the whole kit and caboodle. Don't leave it for something else. This is Papa John. He's 90 or so years old when he's writing this letter. He's at the very end of his life. He spent a life uh, serving and telling people about Jesus. He was Jesus' best friend when Jesus was on the earth for the three years that he was here. John was Jesus' best friend. And so he knows very closely and intimately what it was that Jesus taught and who Jesus was and how we were supposed to be when we're supposed to be living like Jesus, which is what John has told us to do earlier in this gospel. John's not going to mince any words. He's not going to use flowery language. He's not going to embellish. He's not going to give big metaphors but he's going to get straight to the point. He's going to use only 303 words throughout all of the, all of the three letters that he writes, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, compared to over 5,000 words that are used in the entire New Testament. He's not, going to, he's not going to mince any words. He's going to say what needs to be said. He's Papa John. He's Grandpa John. He's going to be like a lot of our grandparents who just said what needed to be said. They said the truth. They didn't care if they were going to offend you in the process. They just told you what needed to be said heard. 1 John chapter 2 verse 7 is where we're picking up this morning. If you have your phones, I invite you to pull those out and go to the Bible app. Hopefully you have a Bible and start bringing your Bibles. I'd love for you to underline phrases and key words as we go through this. Make sure you have a Bible. If you don't, you can ask us and we'll get you a Bible. 1 John chapter 2 verse 7. We're we're in the third week, we're going to start slowing down and taking smaller chunks from this point on, but we've kind of covered a lot of territory. We talked about uh, a couple weeks ago how God is light and him there is no darkness at all, and so if we are living in the light as he is in the light, then we will not have any darkness in our lives, and so that's how we know if we're walking with him and how if we are walking with him, we will be loving one another. That's the proof, the evidence of our discipleship, the evidence of following Jesus Christ. John is writing from firsthand experience. That's where he started in the very beginning, the first four or five verses of this letter. He was talking about that which we have heard, which, which we have seen, which we have, 
we have touched with our hands. You know, this is, this is the one that I walked with. I knew this person. I know what his voice sounds like. I know what color his eyes were. I knew how long his beard was, how long his hair was. I knew the color of his skin. I knew this guy. I was best friends with this guy. So you should pay attention to me when I talk about what Jesus said we're supposed to do, who Jesus said we're supposed to be, because I was with him. Listen to me. And so now we pick it up in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Gnostics were looking for new commandments. They wanted new rules, and they wanted a new list of things that they could follow that would prove that they were spiritual and that they were living up to what they were supposed to be. Gnostics wanted this checklist like they had prior to Jesus with the commands in the Old Testament. So they wanted this list. They wanted new commandments so that they could live them out and prove how spiritual and righteous they were. And so John is saying, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This isn't anything new. This is John, this isn't anything new. It's what you've heard from the beginning. He's going all the way back, not only to the beginning of the gospel that he wrote. John wrote the gospel of John. So he's in the beginning of that. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or no, in the beginning was the word and the word was with life and uh, something like that. The beginning of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the beginning he's going back to. All the way back to the very beginning was this old commandment, love one another. This is what Jesus said to do. This is the command that Jesus gave. He said, a new command I give to you, love one another. It's not necessarily new because it's in keeping with the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, but at the same time, it is new. It's a new command because it's different. So how can something be new and not new at the same time? Well, it's not new because love one another has been there from the beginning, but it's new because of the depth and uh, the sincerity with which we're supposed to love one another, which is what we're gonna spend our time talking about this morning. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. I wanna go back a little bit to the first chapter, verse five. John is speaking. This is the message we have heard from him and, and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I love the line in that song we were singing, everlasting, your light will shine, your glory shines when all else fades. I don't know if you've noticed, but we, we like lights in our culture. We like the idea of light. You know, we aren't gathered together in a dark room. We have a lot of lights hanging over our head to illuminate this room. We have lights in our houses so that when we get up in the middle of the night, we can turn on a light when we need to go to the bathroom. 
and those kinds of things. We like not being in the darkness. We like our lights, but I don't know if you've noticed, we're kind of on this pursuit for this everlasting, enduring light, right? We had these incandescent bulbs, and originally they lasted for a long while, and then over time they started being made cheaper and cheaper, and so you know, put an incandescent bulb in, and three or four times later, you have to replace it after you've turned it on. And so, you know, we're looking for more light with less energy that it used, so they came out with these CFLs. And so the CFLs, you know, are supposed to use less energy, produce the same amount of light, and they last longer, right? They're supposed to last longer, but if you've ever bought CFLs, you know that that's not really true. That's just all marketing. They don't last any longer. My grandfather at the house that we're living in, he would write the dates on the bulbs when he put them in so he'd know just how long they were lasting. They never lasted as long as the warranty said they would last. But they know we're not going to send the light bulbs back in. I mean, it's just a little light bulb. We're not going to send it back in and get a replacement bulb. So they're fine with that. And so now we have LEDs, right? LED lights. The two lights back there in the back two lights are LED lights. And they're supposed to last for 15 or 20 years. And these lights that are shining up on the wood here are LED lights. They're supposed to last forever. And we have flashlights at home. You know, uh, And I was kind of showing Becky because I'm cool when it comes to flashlights. And so, um, you know, I had this, I have mag lights and I've talked to you about how I like to collect these mag lights and, you know, three cell and four cell and five cell mag lights because they're not just lights, they're weapons. And you, you had these lights and they had this little three watt incandescent bulb in it. And at the time when they first came out, it was, it was bright. It was a bright light, but now I've just bought a replacement bulb, an LED bulb at Home Depot for $3.46, and I put it in, and it's at least twice as bright as the original three-watt bulb, and it's a three-watt LED bulb, and my brother for Christmas got me a really bright 250-lumen flashlight, and it's, it takes like two AA's. No, it's not even AA's. They're the smaller, more expensive, harder-to-find batteries. Um, the flashlight's about this big, and it overpowers all of them. We are on this pursuit to find the brightest light that lasts the longest with the least cost that we can come up with, and we want to be able to illuminate everything forever. But every single one of these lights at some point in time is going to fade. They're all dependent on something else to illuminate something. They're dependent on electricity. They're dependent on batteries. Maybe you're using a candle. The candle is dependent on wax to have fuel to burn. Everything, every light that we have is dependent on something. And God is the only light in whom there is no dependence for someone else to come and light and keep it lit. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. God's light will never fade. God's light has always been and God's light will always be shining and there is no darkness in it. Our lights leave shadows. Our lights leave dark spaces. Our lights are not completely and wholly illuminating like God's light is. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. You ever find yourself stumbling through the dark you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and there's a box in your path that isn't normally there and so you trip over the box and wake up everyone in the house. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother is in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But 
Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. And I have a question for us this morning I would like us to talk about, and I'd like us to really think deeply about this, is do we really want to live in the light? This, this book is about living in the light and, and, and living in the light of God's love, and we're gonna get really specific about how we do that and how we love and how we live in God's love and, and what this love looks like and how it's supposed to be played out in our lives, this love that we've been blessed with, this love that we've been given and gifted so that we can give away. We're gonna get really specific, but do we really want to live in this light, this light that illuminates completely and wholly? Do we really want to live in the light See, there's no darkness in God, there are no shadows, but that means that there are no hiding places. With God, there's nowhere to hide stuff that he can't see that we can keep for ourselves. Do we really want to live in the light? See, sometimes I think we want, uh, we want the footprints in the sand, Jesus, but not the leave all you have and follow me, Jesus. Have you, you guys know the footprints in the sand? I'm not, I'm not bashing this poem, it's a good poem. I, I'm gonna put it up here, I think we've got it for you. I just wanna read through it. This was posted in my house in several places. My mother loves this poem dearly. Love you, Mom. She listens to this, by the way. Footprints. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. I'm gonna to try to give this the reverence that it probably was written with. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each, for each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other belonging to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand and he noticed that many times along the path of his life, there were only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. This really bothered him and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way, but I've noticed that during the most troublesome times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you the most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my son, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints in the sand, it was then that I carried you. Doesn't that just make you feel good? It's just like a, it's like a snuggie for the soul, right? I mean, it's just warm and cuddly. And I don't necessarily have any problems with the poem, but I think sometimes that's all we want out of our relationship with Jesus. We want the warm, snuggie feeling, right? We want. We want Jesus carrying us when life gets hard. We want that part, we want the good parts, but we don't want the leave all you have and follow me parts of following Jesus. So we ask things like, God, would you please carry me through this trial? I just don't know if I can make it without you. But then as soon as the trial is over and we're in the clear, we're all good and we're on our way. When walking with Jesus starts to cost us something, we're out, where it's like, okay, this is getting too expensive, this is getting too hard, I am not gonna go with this anymore. So we're in with Jesus as long as he's giving us grace and as long as he's doing the things for our life that we want and he, you know, that we need him for, but not too long after we're back on our own feet, we're making our own footprints in the sand again, we quickly discover that our footprints are walking in the opposite direction of Jesus' footprints. 
Do we really want the light of God's love? So what's this requirement of following Jesus? What is this requirement that we've been given? The, the whole picture. And when we first hear, for, for a long time when I would hear this, this is just absurd. Why could, how could this be the only command, really, that Jesus, why would Jesus put all of this into this one idea, love one another? Loving others as you love yourselves. Love one another. Love your brothers. Love others. How could that possibly be all that is required of me when it comes to following Jesus? Yes, there are other things. There are other, th- other things that Jesus taught, but this is the one clear, specific command that he's given to us. But then when you start thinking about it, when you start thinking about the kind of love that we have received, the kind of love that we have been loved with, it starts to make sense. This is, this is a hard thing. This isn't an easy thing. This, is, this can be really difficult because we've all been hurt, right? We've all been deeply wounded. We all have scars. We all have things in our life that were caused by others. And so we say, if you knew what they had done to me, you wouldn't love them either. And that may be true. That may, if I knew what they had done to you, I may have a really hard time loving them. But have you really thought all the way through what that means? If you knew what they had done to me, you wouldn't love them either. Well, we get this idea in our heads that there are actual unforgivable offenses, right? We, we get this idea in our minds that there are things that I do not have to forgive someone. There's, there's a list, right? There's a list. When somebody does this, when somebody commits one of the atrocities on this list, I am no longer required to forgive that person for that thing. You just don't understand what they did to me. If you knew, you'd feel the same way. I might. But how I feel about them or how we feel about them or how you feel about them is not the point. See, the easiness or difficulty of the task is not what determines whether or not we do it. That's not how we live our lives, or we shouldn't live our lives anyway. We don't go the easiest route. We don't take the route that's the easiest to walk. We take the route that's the best walk. We go in the best direction. It might be difficult to forgive someone. It may be actually the most difficult thing we ever do in our lives. But that doesn't mean we get to walk away from our responsibility to forgive. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Don't you want to be in the light? Maybe you don't really want to be in the light. I want to be in the light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If there is darkness in our lives because we're hating our brothers, then we really need to deal with the darkness so that we can be in the light. I want to be in the light. If we say we have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness, we're lying. We're not actually practicing the truth. We're practicing a form of the truth, which is still just deception. We need to practice the whole truth. See, the truth, the whole truth is that Jesus didn't die so that we could sleep better at night. Jesus didn't die so that we could put on the warm Snuggie so that we could have the warm milk and so that we could do what we want and feel better about it. Jesus died so that we would be completely and wholly transformed. 
See, Jesus died so that this broken, death-filled, dark-filled man would become a new man, a new creation, a new illuminated body following Jesus Christ. It's a total transformation. It's not just an adding Jesus to your life kind of a thing. It's God comes in and he transforms everything. It's the kind of transformation that forgives everyone because we know how much we have been forgiven. See, if we were to stop right now and on this big screen play all the behind the scenes footage from each and every one of our lives, we would all quickly realize that we've been forgiven of a lot. See, this footage would show all the mistakes that we've made. It would show all the things that we have done wrong. It would show all the people that we've hurt. It would show all of the wrongs that have happened in our life that have been our responsibility. And it would be a pretty sad display. But all of those misdeeds, all of those lowlights that are shining up on the screen and they're coming to your head right now and you're thinking about them, all of these misdeeds, all of these sinful acts, all of these things that, that we have done, who are they committed against? Yes, we may have damaged ourselves in the process. Yes, they may have been committed against others too, but who is the one that was really offended by our display? It was God. God is the one that was deeply wounded. He is the one, not that he can be wounded like we're wounded, but God is the one who was offended. God is the one who was mistreated. God is the one who was the recipient of our misdeeds. And when you stop and think about the billions and billions of people who have offended God, who have sinned against God, if there is anyone, if there is any being, if there is any entity on in all of creation that should be able to hold a grudge, it should be God. We have a few people that have wounded us, but God has had billions upon billions who have wounded him, and some, many, have done intentionally. So if there was one being, if there was one being who could justify not forgiving, it would be God. But what did God do? God did not say, you do not deserve my forgiveness, you do not deserve my love, so I am not going to get it, I'm going to hold it in for myself, I'm going to keep it back for me. God did not do that, instead what he did is he decided to forgive and to pay the price for us to have forgiveness. This is the love that we have been shown, this is the love we have received, this is the new commandment that has been given to us. This is the requirement that we have. Love one another. Not, not the conditional love, not the contractual love like we've talked about before, but the covenantal, undying, unwavering love that says no matter what happens, no matter what we do to one another, we are going to love. There are no conditions, there are no opt-out clauses, there are no loopholes. We are going to love through the thick and thin, through all of it, we are going to love. We're not going to get our feathers ruffled, we're not gonna get all upset and go find another church, we're not going to go through these things and no, it's not because I've received emails that we're talking about this, this is just what's coming out when we're talking about the book of 1 John, we have a tendency to want to run when what we need to do is forgive. Maybe it's not running away from other people, we're just trying to run from ourselves and we don't want to forgive ourselves. It's not so much the offenses of others against us, but it's we just can't live with who we see in the mirror. 
See, we've been forgiven of so much if we've decided to follow Jesus, if we've received his grace, if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ and received this gift of grace. We've been forgiven of very much. We've received this wonderful gift. In light of how much we have been forgiven, the offenses of others don't really carry much weight anymore, do they? The offenses of others kind of pale in comparison. They look kind of small and It doesn't mean they weren't bad things. It doesn't mean that these people didn't do awful things. You see, we've been forgiven much. So we must freely forgive. There's no cause for us to hate anyone. There's no cause for us to hold on to something, cling to it so that we can hate someone. See, we've been forgiven very much. Why would we hold on to a grudge between someone else? What's been done to you that you're holding on to? What has wounded you that you're still clinging to? What is it that you're not letting go of this morning? What is it that you just can't put behind you that's causing you to hate someone? Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Do you feel like you're stumbling? Do you feel like you've lost your way, like you can't? figure out where you're going. Maybe the reason we're in darkness this morning is because we haven't forgiven someone. Maybe the reason we're in darkness is because we aren't loving others. Maybe the reason we're in darkness is because we're still putting ourselves ahead of others. See, Jesus didn't die so that we could just add a little bit of Jesus to our lives and, and make things a little bit better. Jesus died for a complete and total transformation. He wanted to come and change our lives radically and set us ablaze so that the world would come and see what it looks like to be following Jesus. Jesus came to completely and wholly transform us, inside and out. There are no dark spaces left. That does not mean that we are perfect. That does not mean that there's things in us that won't kind of creep out over time, but it means that we have been transformed and those are no longer the things that we try to do, no longer the things that we cling to. Instead, we are clinging and pursuing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're clinging and pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our focus is no longer on the old life, the dead life. Our focus is on the new life with Jesus Christ and pursuing him with all that we have. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation is the point. Transformation is the idea of Romans 12. Two, you see this world that we live in, and if it isn't clear to you, it should be very clear to you right now, but if it isn't, you just have to watch the news for a little bit. This world we live in will do everything it can to justify your grudges. This world will do everything it can to give you a reason to hold a grudge, to give you a reason to hold on to hate, to give you a reason to hold on to unforgiveness. That's not the gospel. The gospel is transformative. The gospel changes us from the inside out. It, it takes us from holding on to these things that we're not letting go of and releasing them for God's glory. So what the world justifies, the gospel shines a light on and reveals it for the darkness that it is. It's almost like you can hear in John's voice when he's writing this, you could hear maybe some of the undertones or the overtones that he's thinking that he's having to write this. He goes, you've been forgiven of so much and you're gonna hold on to this grudge? Really? You've been forgiven of so much and you're gonna let this little thing stand between you and another person. Another person made in my image, another person who has infinite value to me. You're gonna let this stand between the two of you? 
You've had your sins washed away and you're going to continue to be at odds with someone. Can't you see how foolish that is? Can't you see how small that is? Look at what I've done for you. Can't can't you get past this offense between you and this other person? Look at the cross and the price I paid. Can't you see the price I paid so that you could be transformed? Get over yourself. Be transformed. But it comes back to that question, do we really want the whole light? Do we really want the whole transformative power of the gospel in our lives? He's not only the footprints in the sand, Jesus, yes, that's good, but don't we want more than that? Not, not just enough Jesus to help us sleep better at night so we don't feel as guilty about what we did during the day or not just a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. $3 worth of God. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough of him to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of eternal in a paper sack, please. I would like to buy $3 worth of God. Just, just enough so that we feel a little bit better. Not the whole deal. If you know me, you know one of my deepest passions is for reaching the lost, reaching those who have never heard of Jesus, who do not have faith in Jesus. I, I want us so desperately to be a church that shines the light so bright that people are drawn into what Jesus is doing. And the way the world is going to know is not by the fancy language that we use, not by holding up signs and standing on street corners. It's not by holding and passing out tracts. We're not going to mail Bibles. I was actually reading in a study this week that said doing things like passing out tracts, uh, standing on the street corner holding signs, and even things like mailing out, you know, encouraging inspirational things to people around your church have a negative return when it comes to the amount of time and effort you spend on it. They make more people mad at your church than they help bring to your church. We're not trying to do those things to shine the light. How is it that the light is going to shine brightly so that the world will be drawn in and want to be a part of the kingdom of God? There there is this kingdom of God that we're being drawn to that we all have a seat at if we put our faith in him. We're sitting at the table. We've received this seat, this free gift, and now we are heirs to the throne of Christ. We are heirs to co-heirs with Christ to the kingdom. We are children of God. We're gonna learn about that in just a couple of weeks. We are children of God. We've received this free gift. And there's a world that doesn't have any idea that they are also invited, that they have the same value, the same worth as we do. That God looks at them and he sees someone made in his image and he wants to have them be a part of his kingdom. That, that they're lost and dying but they have a God who loved them enough to pay the way for him to come. Don't you want the world to know about that? Don't you want the world to see that? How do we shine this light? You know how we shine the light? 
Radical love. Crazy love. Ridiculous love. Ridiculous love for one another. Love for one another that does not have strings attached. If you do this for me, I'm gonna love you. If you stop doing this, I'm gonna stop loving you. That's not the kind of love that we show. It's unconditional, crazy, radical, irrational love. The kind of love that says, when you offend me, I'm gonna love you anyway. And when you hurt me in this way, I'm still going to continue to love you. I, I understand that was just that was the old man that you're still shedding off and the new man is coming out. So, so let's cling to the new man, let's cling together to this new light and let's put the old man behind us. Kind of a radical love that's different than every other love that you've experienced. It's not contractual, it's not based on what you can do for me and what you can accomplish for me. It's based on the fact that we have been bought under a price, under the blood of Jesus Christ and we're going to love unconditionally because that is how we have been loved. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of light we shine. Would have been a good spot for an amen. Amen. We don't love because people have done something to deserve our love. If you're a parent, you know how ridiculous that is. Your kids have never done anything to deserve your love, and you love them dearly. You love them with all of your being. We love because we have been greatly loved because God first loved us. Romans 5, 8, I think, says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were broken and dirty, God loved us. Our call, our mission, our mantra is to do the same in return. We do justice and love mercy and walk humbly, not because it's just a a neat phrase and it goes with our name. We do it because we have been greatly and deeply loved and so we go out and we show dignity to people who think that they don't deserve to receive dignity and respect but they've been made in God's image so we do justice and we love mercy and we walk humbly. See, sometimes what's gonna happen is God is going to let us down from carrying us in the sand and he's gonna put us in the sand and say, walk over to that person and tell them that you love them. And our footprints may vary and stray from the straight path that we think we should be following, but God is going to take us from the spot where he's walking with us and say, there's someone you need to forgive, go forgive them. There's someone you haven't loved yet, go love them. There's someone who desperately needs someone, anyone who will care for them, would you go that way and love them? This is the new command. See, our forgiveness is not based on performance of other people and their ability to live up to a certain standard. Our love is not based on those things, it's unconditional. This doesn't mean we're stupid, this doesn't mean that we keep getting hurt and putting ourselves in harm's way and allowing ourselves to get hurt over and over again. We have to be wise, we have to use wisdom, we have to think through these things carefully. But there are no prerequisites for love. There are no requirements for love. We love in a different way. Judicial forgiveness, as someone sent this in, is different than relational forgiveness. There's a requirement if a brother sins against you, and they need to repent and seek forgiveness. Not applicable to non-believers, our responsibility is to forgive them before God, so our relationship with God is right. This is judicial forgiveness, and it's God's to do ours to give to him.
someone wounds us, when somebody offends us and does something to hurt us, it doesn't mean we withdraw our love. It doesn't mean we stop loving. It means we forgive like we have been forgiven. We want to live in the light, but life has its adversity. As humans, we will fail. Faith, forgiveness, and constant pursuit of God will guide us on our path. We're all children seeking our Father. So my question for us this morning is, do you want the real light, the whole light? And at the same time, who has wounded you and who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to love? Forgiveness is taking whatever is owed, whatever we perceive to be is owed because of what they have done to us and it's canceling that debt. Just like forgiveness on a loan, if you get a loan forgived, you don't have to repay the debt that you owed. Forgiveness is looking at what is owed to us as a result of what they've done and it's, it's canceling the debt. We just take that big rubber stamp and we pound it on there, it's, it's canceled. Debt's canceled. They don't owe us that debt anymore. Who is it in our lives that we just we need to take that big stamp and we just need to cancel something? We need to take that debt and whatever the list is, whatever it is that has accrued over time, that whatever has, has been built up over many, many years or even decades or a lifetime, what is that list that we just need to take and we just take that stamp, we just stamp, it's canceled. The debt is canceled. You are forgiven and from this point on, I'm going to, with God's help, love you unconditionally. I'm going to love you like Jesus loved me. That's the radical kind of love that we've been given. That's the radical kind of love that we're supposed to show. And I think, no, I don't think, I know if we show and we live out that kind of love to one another, people will be drawn to that. I know if we live out that kind of love, the unconditional, the undying love to those who don't deserve it, who, who are outside of the kingdom of God, that they will want to be a part of this kingdom. And if we show them how much they are worth, that they are worth being loved by loving them. I think great, amazing, wonderful things will happen. I think this world would be literally transformed We've gotten off track a little bit. I think we've kind of put a lot, of, a lot of requirements on love. We've put a lot of things that have to be there. You have to, lo- if you're gonna love me, if I'm gonna love you, you have to do this for me. And we've kind of gotten off track a little bit within the church. We've gotten way off track. We put a lot of contractual kind of ideas into love and we gotta get back to this real idea of what it means to love someone unconditionally. That no matter what they do to us, no matter how they offend us, they are still someone made in the image of God and God loves them, loved them enough to send a son to die for them, to pay the price so that they could be united with him and love and be illuminated. That's the kind of love we've been called to. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away 
and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, in these few moments that we have before we take communion together, before we are brought together under the greatest, most radical kind of love that has ever existed, that has ever been shown. Father, I pray that you would, by the power of your, your spirit in us, active and alive and at work in this place, that you would reveal to us things that we need to forgive, reveal to us things that we need to lay down, re- reveal to us offenses that we need to walk away from for good. Father, I pray that you would show us these things, enlighten us so that we can see them, shine your light into the dark spaces, the places we're trying to hide from you, and show us if there's any darkness in us that we need to forgive and repent of and walk away from. And Father, I pray as we sing the song, as we worship together in a few moments, as we take communion together and we respond to this gift of grace, Father, I pray that we would feel such a strong powerful, unbelievable, uniting under the love of Jesus Christ, that it compels us, that this love would compel us to go out and to share this love with the lost and dying world. Father, I pray that not only would we not make love contractual any longer, but Father, I pray that we would not hold it to ourselves any longer. As we have been so graciously given to, Father, help us to give out in return. In Jesus' name, amen.